Welcome to Offshoot, the Fident Capital Podcast with host Kevin Choquette. Offshoot is a curiosity-driven conversation that features a wide range of real estate and business professionals. In each episode, we unpack the knowledge, vantage point, and domain expertise of our guests. Then we move beyond the facts and figures and dive into the personal habits and mindset which allow them to be high performers in their respective field. This podcast's objective is simple. Supporting entrepreneurs, fostering relationships, and uncovering meaningful conversations that positively impact business. Hello, everyone. Thanks again for joining Offshoot. I just finished speaking with John Lauder, today's guest. Uh, he shares some excellent insights for both life and business in this one, and I hope you enjoy it. Some highlights before we jump in. Um, larger deals pay more. Do those. Conservative underwriting is a differentiator. You hear throughout how John and the Appian team say no to deals on a regular basis because they simply can't meet their conservative underwriting guidelines. We speak a bit about force majeure provisions and the impact they're having on guaranteed maximum price general contracting contracts and cost containment in this environment in general. It's worth stating it's March 9th, 2022. Um, what it looks like to be opportunistic and seeking the best deals throughout the investment cycle. They've narrowed their investment focus and have just continued to go where they find the best risk-adjusted returns and they are not anchored to that and will move it as the cycle changes. We discuss a bit commingled discretionary closed-end funds and why they, why they are fundamentally mismatched uh, to the real estate investment business, a, a fascinating and kind of uh, endless topic in my opinion. We also talk about why having the ability to say no thank you to in investment opportunities forever is a material competitive advantage. A lot of the competitors to a boutique firm like Appian don't have that liberty. Uh, from an underwriting perspective, it's first who, i.e. first the developer and then the project. Um, from an underwriting perspective, it's also expect the headwinds and be happy if and when they don't happen. Um, and then we talk a bit about you know the accomplishments that John's made and, and what he might be most proud of. Uh, I don't want to sort of um, get ahead of it because I think the insights there are, are quite profound, but it, it it's related to fulfillment and success and what that can mean for his children. Really uh, nice notion that he's sharing. A couple other things, keeping it simple. This This business actually isn't that complicated once you kind of get enculturated. And uh, finally, as a, as a tool to combat the noise associated with life in the 2020s, um, simply being intentional, being mindful with what you do to stay on track. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning into another episode of Offshoot. Today, I'm happy to welcome my friend John Lauder to the pod. John's the managing partner of Appian Capital, a Bay Area-based investment manager that typically invests joint venture equity into opportunistic real estate projects. That does not, however, preclude them from investing for duration rather than simply building, stabilizing, and selling as many fund managers do. Whether their projects are developments, repositions, or renovations, they almost always work with local operating partners, the GP yin to their LP investment yang, if you will. 
Over Appian's first 20 years, the firm's invested over $400 million into properties with a value north of $2.2 billion through approximately 140 transactions covering 16 unique property types. They've yielded just north of a 21% IRR, an impressive 20-year track record. John's a Berkeley grad, go Bears, and is always running and gunning. I suspect you'll see very quickly here that his mind moves at the proverbial mile a minute, but I'm cautiously optimistic that the two of us can keep this pace slow enough to avoid giving any of you, our beloved listeners, whiplash as it gets going. John, uh, I'm very thankful you've taken the time to speak with me and share some of your insights. Welcome to Offshoot. Oh, well, thanks so much for that great introduction. And yeah, we uh, uh, do have a quick cadence to our conversations, don't we? Yeah. Yes, we do. Um, how's work these days? What's what's happening? Uh, it's a lot of fun. Our posture is really just in reaction to uh, what we're pitched and you know what we're seeing. Uh, you know, irrespective of our asset uh, management roles, um, and those uh, projects that we find, we get excited about, and um, that's what kind of you know fuels our enthusiasm. Yeah, good. It's a busy time. Um, as like a starting point, could you just tell us a bit about you know, Appian and, and, and yourself and kind of the, give an overview of the platform. I certainly, I have some familiarity with it, but, uh, you know, the, the elevator pitch, if you like, uh, just sure. a bit of background would be welcome. Um, as, as far as background, <clears throat> I, uh, uh, in a previous life, I was in, uh, investment management for large firms, um, uh, BlackRock and, um, Franklin Templeton funds. And, uh, I found, I just, lacked the enthusiasm for that business and was always on the side pursuing real estate uh, ventures. And so um, uh, after a, uh, nearly five years, I uh, quit and joined a small um, family office uh, where they were making um, direct investments, but also uh, partnering with in a joint venture and then also uh, had a mezzanine lending platform. And so um, small enough office where uh, coming in new as a junior guy, I was wearing enough hats. Um, and lucky for me, the fellow running the place was very hard to get uh, along with. And I, I went off my own um, after <laughs> less than two years and, um, and started Appian um, uh, with the backing of some of those partners. Um, and uh, back then... Uh, we were, um, you know, focused on mezzanine debt, preferred equity, and JV equity, and uh, how, you know, uh, but did that for those programs for a decade, and then um, kind of winnowed it down to, for the past decade, if you cut it that way, uh, kind of pre and post recession, um, have focused exclusively on J JV equity um, only, and don't want to do or get involved with any structured financing. Yep. Um, what, and what's happening in the business right now? What are you guys seeing? What challenges are you facing? Um, so I guess, you know, uh, a lot of our um, uh, daily is uh, reacting to deals that are pitched to us, uh, either directly from uh, developers or through uh, capital placement folks or just other, other, uh, through other channels. And um, uh, a lot of them have 
um, maybe uh, I would say optimistic uh, um, exit cap rates or you know optimistic cost structures, maybe not layering in enough contingency to account for the highly variable uh, costs, which are kind of just um, uh, uh, part of the backdrop these days. Um, and uh, um, so, you know, I think we look at a couple deals a day um, and pass on <laughs> most all of them. Um, uh, and then, um, but, you know, we get excited about are those that um, are, uh, have a little more um, uh, conservative assumptions to them. Um, I don't know if that answered the question. Yeah, sure. But you, so you're, you're saying developers uh, tend to wear rose-colored glasses? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's one thing that's been true. But, you know, uh, there are there are some when, and if they say, um, you know, uh, we expect it to be eight and it ends up being 10, uh, you know, that, that they're under, and, and that consistently happens. Uh, and we can really see that they're not, you know, banking on rent trending and they're not banking on these things happening perfectly and it still works. Then we're intrigued and we then we move to the next chapter. Or move, you know, then we dig in a little further. Um, yeah, and you you mentioned cost containment. I mean, every conversation I'm having is focused on this and inflation and and hard costs. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll call it appreciation. I don't know. Inflation is probably a better word. Right. Um, what are you guys doing to mitigate that? I I'm even hearing a bit from even the stronger general contractors that. Um, you know, putting up a GMAX even for them is yeah. getting to be difficult and and maybe prohibitive. What do you, what are you guys seeing in that side of the? Well, business? you know, in those in those projects, so you know, we have a, a GMAX contract uh, on every deal and the, and the, enough capital capitalization to back that uh, 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 from the GC. Um, uh, those so at any given point, we're in the midst of. Oh, let me back up. So we, we're focusing mostly, uh, uh, nearly exclusively on ground up development of multifamily. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, these are um, mid-market, which has always been our niche, um, below institutional uh, um, check writing. Uh, um, and uh, so for that, these days, uh, it's it's in the high teens to mid 40s is our equity check um, uh, millions and then um, so that's kind of gives you the scale of the size. Uh, uh, Was that mid project. mid teens to 40s is your equity check or that's project yeah. total project cost that's your equity check okay. that's our that's our equity check and so you know in various markets it's different unit counts in 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 Phoenix that might be 300 units and in in a more expensive market, it's lesser units. Uh, um, and, um, you know, we're, those projects that are ongoing, you know, over the past year uh, and a half or so, we you know, have to go through a uh, value engineering effort to see, you know, how we can um, mitigate some of these things. And, um, you know, so you have a GMAX contract, but, you know, they have force majeure clauses. And these were, uh, I, I understand that the difficulty now uh, signing a GMAX contract um, because it's still variable, but that force majeure language will probably uh, 
uh, carve out, uh, you know, pandemic or COVID related things because that's a known um, variable now, whereas, you know, before it wasn't. And so they can hang their hat on force majeure claims saying uh, it's a global pandemic. And so you're saying so, like if you have a 2020 vintage uh, G Max and, and you're coming to the completion, they're gonna hang. Uh, yeah. They're gonna hang like the 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 latitude, if you will, to break the budget on the force majeure. Yeah, saying, hey, look at labor, um, you know, or your supply chain issues, or whatever it is. Uh, yeah. Um, not the, but, you know the, the but the uh, the the materials are were, were locked in lock likely, so you don't have the big lumber swings or or steel or copper or whatever. Right. They would have bought that out on the front end. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so what about a current vintage deal? I mean, I, I saw on your... so um, those that are being conceived right now, um, uh, we, we, it's, um, you know, we layer on a lot of uh, contingency um, and we dig in, you know, uh, um, we were, we just closed uh, something a couple months ago and we bought out everything ahead of time, ahead of schedule. Um, just and warehouse it near the near the site uh, to insulate from supply chain issues, and so you have all these uh, ways to mitigate. Um, it's not perfect, um, but uh, um, for those things that you don't know, you you uh, carry extra contingency for, um, and then with that extra contingency in the budget, so you have a if it, with that inflated budget. If it still works, then then we get involved with it, but. If it doesn't have that, and if it's lean, and doesn't contemplate those, you know, variables, then, you know, it's kind of like threading a needle, and it's usually we just back away from it. An easy pass, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and look, I, I will tease out of you a bit more about your current investment activity because I think it's worth uh, sharing with the listeners. But um, just on the topic of uh, development costs. And we, we sort of ran back of the envelope analysis the other day um, and came to the conclusion that, you know, like what I'm about to say is going to be influenced by the prevailing cap rate environment in terms of, you know, what the terminal cap rate is and, and what cap rate on costs you're building to. But assuming you're building to five and a halfs and you're exiting at fours, which would be very appropriate for kind of Southern California and, and probably the West coast more broadly, or at least California. Um, we came to the conclusion that three and a half percent increase in costs, just total cost um, can drop 25 basis points of yield out of the stabilized cap on costs. And yeah. so like my question to you, given what we're seeing is, it seems like a Goldilocks moment to develop macro because inflation hedges and, uh, you know, the fact that rents typically move with inflation and you're borrowing long-term fixed rate debt. So owning real estate in an inflationary environment is pretty attractive. There's a ton of capital that wants to come into real estate because there's no yield anywhere else. But like, are these costs escalations going to be significant enough that the development window closes? Well, I think that, you know, it, it depends on your perspective. Uh, for us, yes. Uh, but for those who are long the land and spent three years entitling it, no, they'll just, they'll say, we'll build them to a 5.1 or a 5 or 4.9 trended. Yeah, and, and trended. so, and that, and so that goalpost keeps moving 
And um, that makes us nervous because then they say they're exiting at a three and a half or something like that. And we're saying, yeah, I understand that it's supported today, but the sun is shining today. And who's, you know, it doesn't always, the sun doesn't always shine, we've learned. Uh, so we build in, you know, cap rate escalation uh, of like 15 bips a year or so. So um, we, need, we need more of a conservative exit cap idea out there and so that's why we don't do we don't trade a lot in uh, major markets because a lot of those proformas um, need the trending in order uh, meaning they they need that uh, to build in that rent growth assumption in order for their performer to work and in some instances we we, we run it at a zero and then say guys you know you, you you're kind of selling it for what you're building it for like oh yeah well you took out the 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 market growth okay right. <laughs> yeah but if we if if this is just a market growth play then we would buy the existing class a building next door to you Thank and you. ride that market growth and not that's exactly you... what i was going to say if that's the case yeah. let's just go buy one and not have a partner and not have to take all of the development risk why go through yeah exactly yeah. but yeah. to some you know they have a hammer and everything's a nail uh, and so, you know, um, and so that's, that, that is, they do that because that's just what they, they do and they're pregnant, pregnant with the deal. So, right. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about where you guys are investing. You just alluded to the fact that you're, uh, less frequently in major markets, but you know, asset types, um, you know, you're, you kind of alluded to 15 to 40 being your check writing, which uh, is larger than I recall. Uh, geographies, primary, secondary, tertiary markets, like yeah. just development, entitlement risk. Where, where are you guys investing? What's the sweet spot? Um, and so the the check writing size has changed over the years, um, not because we aspire to, um, you know, uh, do bigger deals. Uh, um, it And, you know, it is fun to do a larger deal because all the, you know, uh, the remuneration is uh, larger, but um, uh, more that those deals happen to be ones that we're following us, um, our developer partner down uh, uh, to, and it happens to be a larger transaction, but we, we have kind of a shorthand communication with them, you know, this is our sixth deal or something. Uh, and so, um, and, and it also is driven by, um, the inefficiency in the market below where uh, maybe uh, Carlisle or Prudential will write a check uh, where they have to, it used to be that below uh, 15 million was a sweet spot and, or 10 million uh, back in the uh, late nineties, early two thousands. And now, um, you know, as, as they raise more money, their denominator gets larger and their transactional efficiency, you know, uh, bright line, below that it's just too small um if that makes sense it does um, make perfect sense let me just say that back to you so i'm making sure i got it uh what you're saying is as the bigger funds get bigger their smallest check is bigger which gives you a bit more headroom to write bigger right. checks and still be sub-institutional yeah way better said than what i just did yeah that's great um, <laughs> that's great I, I, you know to be honest i haven't heard anybody say that and it makes a lot of sense yeah and it's it's just um it's not because you know kind of we're brilliant it's just it kind of happens that way and um we're partnering with folks who otherwise have 
those big big funds as partners, and um, but they had this smaller deal um, and that they have because they're in the business of uh, the business they're in, and so we'll partner with them on the, it, it very in the similar docs and, bar, and bargain that is kind of on the shelf for them uh, with big pension funds. Um, hmm. That sounds like a win. Yeah, and so it's very much it's easier than dealing with you know then we and we absolutely appreciate and get excited about uh local regional uh more entrepreneurial uh uh, par- uh developer partners um but it's but if they haven't you know been beaten up by prudential they're not as they're not as uh um you know they're they're looking at our terms and going oh that's different than the doctors and dentists i raise money from um, right totally <laughs> um so I know that's kind of a um, you know weird way to say it, but it is kind of the uh, what we notice in terms of the, the no no look it's the natural uh, evolution of of yeah. the if we can say you know the emerging manager local real estate entrepreneur um, first deal or two friends and family maybe he raises yeah. two two and a half three million gets a gets a win does two or three and then suddenly wants to do a 140 unit project and he's not going to get the local syndicate that he has trust right. and affiliation with to write a you know 14 or $20 million check, which is where he comes to you. And he says, well, and by the way, I get to be the messenger for this. Uh, yeah. How about, how about a 10 pref 50, 50 split? Yeah. Right. And, and, uh, and, and you provide credit enhancement and guarantees along with me in, in pro rata, uh, you know, uh, you know, along with, uh, along with me and I'm the 5% partner, whatever. Right. And, and forget that my net worth and liquidity is, you know, uh, let's say 400,000 so with yeah. 4 million and we're borrowing 40 million, but, uh, yeah. we'll both sign on the guarantee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All um, right. so that's, that's super helpful in terms of check size, but what, you know, asset classes, primary, secondary markets, uh, tertiary markets. We used to look, risk. yeah, we used to, you know, kind of look at, major uh, uh or you know major property types in terms of the pie chart and fill out you know the different quadrants in in Parada and go oh my gosh we got to uh we haven't done in, you know industrial that much to, to be, but to be diversified let's you know let's emphasize that and we let that all go um after the recession and just kind of followed what you know uh what's in front of us what's the most attractive given these times um and um so aside from a couple uh hospitality we we built a hotel in silicon valley right near the apple campus um and some office which is you know it had they have really good stories attached to them outside of those it's been um ground up multifamily and i expect for you know the near future for the deals we have in the pipeline and what enthuses us uh, in terms of, you know, risk reward is uh, multifamily uh, development. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of location, um, you know, I want to say we, we follow uh, job growth, but um, gosh, we had just an awesome uh, uh, time and we pursuing more in like market like Eugene where there isn't big job growth story, but it's a scarcity uh, story in terms of the existing inventory. And there's not a lot of developable um, parcels within the urban growth boundary. Um, uh, but, uh, those places where, um, we, 
uh, have been and continue to do a lot of business or kind of like uh, Phoenix uh, MSA and uh, Tempe and various part of, just draw a big circle around Phoenix and um, Boise. Uh, we are now on our one, two, three, fourth transaction in Boise. Um, we, during the early days of the pandemic, we kind of leaned into that market on one deal and then um, uh, consummated that. And then, um, but with, with those efforts, it was, you know, not a lot of folks were pivoting there. Uh, and now it's a little bit of a darling, uh, but um, and there's been a lot of appreciation since, but um, uh, um, we are bullish in, uh, 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 on Boise reminds us of what Phoenix looked like um, a decade ago. Hmm. Um, and other 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 markets we you're kind of looking at a little bit. Uh, we we tried to um, do some business in Salt Lake, um, but um, uh, it hasn't gelled yet. So um, um, I'm reluctant to ask a question that I know Google could answer, but. Um, in terms of like orders of magnitude, your comment on Boise and Phoenix is interesting to me because those population centers are are vastly different just in terms of yeah. headcount. What is it about <clears throat> Boise? I know that, I mentioned like, them in one sentence, but they are very, very different markets. Yeah, where, you know, I, I mean, it's hundreds of thousands in in Boise, right? Like maybe two hundred. What I don't know the population of that MSA. Yeah, it's. I mean, um, it, and you have to look at. You know, it was we were looking at uh, we were underwriting uh, Sunnyvale, where there's you know, <clears throat> uh, you know, millions of square feet. You know, you know, we were throwing around millions of uh, of leased and then uh, you know um, purchased and being developed right near you, which you know we were excited about that happening. Uh, you know, blocks away from our site, and then um, and then switch over to Boise, where um, it's like a hundred thousand square feet right there. And you're right. Oh wow. That's right there. You know? <laughs> right. And we're similarly excited just because, but it's just a way smaller pond. Um, um, but what is it that makes you feel, um, I'm just curious. I want to sort yeah. of explore that, uh, that it has some characteristics which are similar to Phoenix. It's obviously not the population. It's, yeah, the populations, you know, it has a big immigration component, but, and, and which was, you know, uh, the pandemic was a catalyst for, but it's, it, it was, uh, there demonstrably before, uh, the pandemic in a, a consistent way over years. Um, and, um, so it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, very, it's just back uh, a decade ago in Phoenix, where you had a very uh, industrial base that was um, kind of just one leg to the stool. Uh, and so uh, it was kind of a um, more volatile market, uh, whereas really the, the industrial base was built around housing generally in construction uh, with mortgage companies and all the ancillary businesses. Now Phoenix is a very diverse job um, industrial base uh, with tech, biotech, biotech, financial services, insurance, and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, and um, Boise is um, uh, having similar uh, attributes in terms of, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, um, a diverse uh, job-based, industrial-based. Employment-based uh, di yeah, diversification. And it's 760,000. Yeah. I just looked it up. Thank you, Google. So it's actually bigger than I had 
appreciated. Yeah, I mean, it's the size of it. I mean, there's you know all those uh, suburban areas, and so when you talk about MSA versus the uh, downtown core, um, I mean, there's a lot of development out in Meridian and Nampa, uh, mm-hmm. which you know we're looking at those too. Our developments are right in down uh, downtown Boise proper, which there's a dearth of housing. There's more coming on, but um, the when a project is delivered, it's you know, the velocity is in the 50s versus in the teens or 20s um, in other markets. They're just because uh, it's just, you know, an underserved market. Um, yeah. So so it's the emerging manager, uh, Western U.S. Sounds like it's mostly secondary and tertiary markets. Uh, clearly, you're not afraid of uh, some of the smaller markets, meaning the Eugene's or, or Boise's. Development is front and center. What do you guys do as it pertains to entitlement um yeah and in terms of not i'm i'm more afraid of uh i live in the bay area um and when i see a deal in the east bay um uh or san francisco uh or you know south bay uh not much in the north bay um uh those scare me because they're just the metrics of the deal and they you know bake in the growth um where and they don't have just the new growth right there. You know, we're not making prognostications nationally and then doing circles around areas. We are looking at local regional um, characteristics and making a rifle shot investment right there. Uh, and that's kind of, so that's why Boise fits. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and, um, and, and, and we run it at, you know, some conservative assumption that still passes the test. Uh, um, when we stress test the performa, um, in terms of entitlement, um, uh, we have had in the, uh, in years past, uh, entitlement, uh, funds, uh, which just took that, uh, piece of a uh, risk, um, and, um, and, um, and then handed it off to, uh, a more, uh, build the core fund or, you know, other, you know, internally, um, kind of a stop start. And um, we don't do that any longer. So we we um, we don't really uh, get involved with I'll call that pursuit or um, um, we we kind of react to a deal once once it's actually a viable deal. Um, if there's some administerial administerial uh, entitlement work, which is not you know um, anything uh, no discretionary review or anything like that, then then um, that's the point we get involved. We do, however, get involved with deals that have a big entitlement effort to go through, um, but uh, we're more just uh, there, um, haven't invested yet, and maybe are trading paper in terms of our bargain, our agreement, um, so we can hit the ground running once they do gain that. Yep, that makes sense. Um, and then as as it pertains to the, the nature of the capital that Appian deploys, um, are you guys a fund manager in the traditional sense where, you know, you're on fund two, three or four and each fund is a hundred million dollars and, you know, you're kind of, you're getting an asset management fee and a promote or are you um, working in more uh, atypical manners and, and sort of recruiting capital in, in the real time? Uh, I think I have some insights to that, but I certainly yeah. wouldn't want to guess. <clears throat> so, um, while we're raising some funds right now, those will be those will those funds act as kind of Uber investors among our other investors. Uh, 
And the reason that we abandoned the, you know, go out on a road show and raise up a quarter million dollars and then spend it is that uh, philosophically we feel that um, um, it doesn't match, it, do, it doesn't feel good in terms of, hey, we're, um, we're sunsetting this fund and so we have to dispose of these assets and so we're really, you know, we'll take a haircut on that and it, it, it breeds ill will with our partners. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, some, you know, and, that, and a lot of that's just for marketing for raising funds. So fundamentally, um, we don't look at ourselves as capital raisers. We look at ourselves as folks who um, find deals that are enthusiastic, we're enthusiastic about, and then invite others to uh, um, invest in them. Um, but as in terms of our uh, posture to the market, we need to have the funds to fund a deal. So we have. Um, uh, uh, agreements with a couple um, uh, ultra ultra high net worth folks who back our program and who who can write the check in a minute um, to back 100% of everything we do, and then we um, so we we make our commitments based on based on the strength of those, and then um, but with rubber hits the road, all the, those those um, guys who are making that commitment only end up being uh, a couple percent of any deal, and we have maybe 400 and so investors, and each deal is a separate transaction. And the decisions made on that transaction are driven by the real estate, the property, and what is right for the property. And that is a breath of fresh air for a lot of our partners when we say that, because um, they're like, oh, great, okay, because so if 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 we're hitting, you know, you're not going to have some liquidity constraint and say, gosh, we got we got to uh, lock in the loss here and sell. Uh, you'll never hear that from us. We, well, not only that, but you're not uh, in year seven of a fund right. where you're looking to recognize your 20% promote as right. a fund manager. And in order to be able to do that, that last asset that really isn't ripe. And even though the cycle is kind of moving against you, it's it's more or less a forced liquidation because you got to get paid. Exactly, and yeah. then and, then, and it also adds a, a a perverse incentive for us to transact because we've raised, we 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 raise the money we're getting paid, uh, and I've seen this with folks who do similar programs as us. Uh, their deal quality just goes down, um, and uh, and like I'm scratching my head. We passed on those. Oh. Yeah, they just did a big fundraise, so I guess they have to spend it. Um, yeah, but, that's exactly right. That oh gosh, and maybe they'll do well, and maybe the market will keep rising. But um, one of the me, uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh well, um, one of the endowment managers for one of the big universities on the East Coast, I've heard him in a room full of you know sort of the the fund managers that we're referring to right now just literally say i hate commingled funds for the exact same reasons that you're articulating yeah. like yeah. it's it's bad for the real estate it's you're you're taking my discretion from me and you're mingling me with a bunch of junk of matched duration and then you're going to synthetically drive the thing off of yeah. a cliff in year 8 <laughs> like what are we doing guys like what exactly. are we doing and, we, and uh, that could be a whole separate podcast or i think that money totally. is raised uh, that doesn't match the you know the actual investment thesis that you know you're pursuing 
Um, right. And, you know, you're catching me in terms of professional arc, you know, so I'm 50, 53. We don't need, we, you know, we can, we can pass for years. Right. We, I actually, right. I could just, I could just ski and mountain bike ride from <laughs> right. here on out. So I want to get into things that are positive, you know, uh, um, and have a, and it's better to under promise and over deliver. And then, oh, did cap rates compress? Grout. Wow, we got, that's great. And so it's all a positive spiral in terms of life balance and everything. That's much better than saying, yeah, we had hoped that market, you know, we had under, we'd underwritten 4% um, and it didn't happen and it's bad news, um, you know, or less good news or whatever. Um, and um, I'd prefer the former to the latter. Um, in terms of uh, mm-hmm. well, look, have, <laughs> yeah, I totally agree, and I think <clears throat> I think you guys are really wise to approach the market that way. The thing that you have that's unique is, I think, what you just labeled as kind of the Uber investor, right? Like to be able to stand, you know, with confidence and say, "Hey, we'll we'll take the deal down. This is our terms," and know that you've got the backing, and then you know, the market would sort of require that. So it's from the outside looking in, I think it looks a little bit like Frankenstein's monster. I mean, it's, it's a little, it's, we, it's, but you know, we were like, what are our priorities? What do we want to, what do we want to do? We, we don't want that. We want this. We want freedom to do um, what is, what is the right thing to do for the property um, and for our partners, frankly. Um, and uh, we and you've up done with it this. with four hundred million dollars, so it's it's not like it's a de novo concept at this point. Yeah, no, it's it's um, yeah, we're way down river on it. So, um, what what do you attribute the the four hundred million dollars and and your twenty one percent, you know, sort of average or aggregate IRR? Uh, you know, I I kind of cut it up into there's a the first decade and the second decade, and you know the first decade's transaction flow and deal size and type are very different, especially when you come to a mezzanine fund, a lot of, you know, maybe 60% of that deal flow uh, from year 2000 to 20, uh, I'll call it 2008 maybe, was mezzanine debt. And that's a, so that's a whole different kettle of fish. And it doesn't, and so, um, uh, and that had reasons for its success, uh, which are different um, than what we have done since uh, um, 2009 uh, or so to present and what we can we, we expect to in the future. And that is all very consistent, like um, meaning for the past decade, we, we did what we intend to do for the next decade. Right. Um, uh, and, and let's talk about that first 10 years, because I, I have heard you in other settings um, you know, sort of articulate some of the reasons that you moved away from yeah. that, that business model following the Great Recession, following the downturn. Like, what, what were the lessons learned in that time period? I think that, um, uh, you know, a big, a big staff and looking to do more volume and, um, and um, getting into more structured transactions and uh in some in in we were you know a lot of those preferred equity and mezzanine debt uh uh investments we made uh, did wonderfully well um and sometimes they did wonderfully well at the expense of our partner because we had a you know um we were in a preferred position and uh if things go wrong then uh we're still great uh but they are you know they worked for free or you know uh they mm-hmm. uh um, 
and so um and and because you are in uh, in a in a protected position you can get in you can convince yourself to get involved with deals which are maybe have a little more hair or um are less stellar um and then um uh on the joint venture deals the you know you it's more who than what uh and um those the information flow of being a partner that is, I think just fits how we are, how my partner and I are organically, how we are, we approach it more as a partner and not as a, as a lender or some preferred uh, bargain. So it, it, it matches our personality better. We like rolling over sleeves and helping and leaning in and, um, and not tasking our partner in terms of, we try to answer our own questions and have our own, you know, resources. Um, and so the JV equity bargain uh, um, uh, or structure really fits our character and nature better. Um, and, um, and there's a higher quality of sponsorship. And then you, when you focus on that, then um, uh, and, and doing repeat deals with those is just the, the best place to be in terms of a, a fun business to do. And look, as as the industry as a whole, um, the business you were in, and the same as the big fun business, um, you know, we're in an ecosystem where there's a double promote, right? Which is the the developers getting a capital or, or a profits yeah. interest that is disproportional to their capital investment. And as a fund manager, obviously, your incentive for doing this is you can get a bit more of the economics than you would for just the dollar for dollar um, investment yeah. that you may make into any transaction. What's your view of of the the double promote? It, in general, like it's yeah. It's, so um, you know, we're, we're not inventing anything that Goldman Sachs or Carlyle or any of those others. That's right. They all that's so it's it's an on the shelf bargain that's out there, uh, with ninety nine percent of the money that's invested in real estate. Uh, so all those funds have a double promote. That's so they're, right. They're uh, when they're investing in deals, you and you look at their perspectives and. They, they they don't mention that, you know, uh, but we know because wherever we see the transactions where, oh, yeah, no, that's a JV bargain they're doing. They didn't buy that building. They bought that in partnership with the local local guys. So we are, you know, doing what is most normal in the main. Um, but when it comes down to the perspective of uh, an, an individual investor who has maybe $10 million, who represents maybe one of our investors, um, he may be looking at us or uh, investing in maybe uh, a, a, you know someone he knows, a local developer, where he's coming in as maybe their co-GP or coming in as their you know part of their equity syndication. Yeah, we are different there, but we have what he doesn't have is we have you know we have um, uh, guarantee from our uh, developer for that uh, they're on the hook for all cost overruns. Uh, uh, that's that has always been the case, and it's, it's well capitalized, nation's largest developers, um, and um, and then also, you know, we are we are on our hamster wheel working um, uh, and finding and being very discriminating so in 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 diverse areas. So that his friend who at the country club, they're going to have one type of business they do, um, and so. Uh, you know, if he wants to go, you know, uh, 
disproportionately invested in that one, and then, then that's you know um, that's one thing. But we're you know we have some. Yeah, yeah. Look, that's all great feedback, and I wasn't meaning to contest that the double promote was unjust oh, yeah. or anything yeah. like that. It's it's it is a market bargain that's out there, and uh, I think the the general consensus is it's worth it, right? Like if I, I, as an investor, I would be happy to pay you guys to have somebody looking in Eugene and Boise and making sure I'm getting best of class, uh, you know, sponsors, local developers, high quality general contractors who can put up a G max that means something know that I'm in a market where, you know, the job formation or, or household formation metrics are favorable or the supply constraints are so meaningful that you can almost not look at that as much as kind of what you articulated with Eugene. Right. I think it's worth it. But um, it, at, like a parallel to that, the crowdfunding thing, you know, yeah. the the Jobs Act that Obama passed now, I don't know, seven, yeah. n- nine years ago, um, you know, CrowdStreet in particular, uh, there are others it's starting to be pretty real. I wonder what yeah. your thoughts are. Like, is that, is that a threat to, to Appian and, and its brethren? Um, is it going to reshape know, um, the industry? When I saw, when we see those, we, we have, I've noticed, you know, those, uh, um, I saw an offering by Graystar on there. Like, Oh gosh, uh, there's, huh. That's interesting. You know, uh, maybe we should pay attention to that. And then, I don't know. I saw something shiny and abandoned the, research into it but um uh um in terms of the bargain in terms of the deals um uh you know it's um it doesn't have the characteristics that ours do so it's a little bit of apples and oranges i don't think it's a threat just because we're dealing with um uh uh relationships and and larger capitalizations that uh those aren't large enough yet mm-hmm. um but hey they're they they are getting larger and larger um and folks are raising funds out there and i like the uh, democratic nature of it the in some you know uh, uh the crowd streets or real crowd or whatever uh they try to offer up some type of you know here's what to look at here's some you know underlying you know uh um underwriting that you can you can look at um but uh you know it's not it's it's not professionally vetted you know um it, it's not and so there are things that i've noticed there like oh gosh they don't mention they don't mention this refi thing at all and i mean they're they're mentioning <laughs> that they are going to but they don't mention like you know their assumptions around it or you know whatever i'm using that as an example of there's some blank spot somewhere sometimes there that oh that's interesting and they got funded okay yeah you know um and they'll they'll likely do well i'm not betting against it at all i'm just saying what we're doing is different yeah Uh, and and i think they will do well and i don't think it's a threat and and the way you just articulated it at you know 53 years old and and uh you know i suspect the challenge for Appian is uh, having the correct proportion of no's to yeses and the no's vastly outnumbering the yeses. Um, I don't think CrowdStreet or any other crowdfunding platform will will upset that kind of balance. But I do think it's it's in the coming years, I think yeah. the industry is going to uh, shape shift a bit, if you will. 
Yeah, I, I'm intrigued by that idea, and I, I want you know I want to pay more attention to it. Um, the um, uh, um, because it's you know if you look at the growth trajectory so far and extrapolate that, you know, it, it looks very promising for them. Yeah, um, yeah, I think they did a billion last year and are projecting to Crowd Street in particular. I, ha I happen to know those guys pretty well. They mm -hmm. did a billion of equity. Uh, raised last year, the average check is like twenty five thousand dollars. Wow! Six, yeah, they have sixteen thousand accredited investors on the platform. It's yeah. it's fascinating. Um, well, let's go yeah. macro. Like, talk about the cycle um, as a primer. I just listened to CoStar. Um, they did a, a market update for San Diego. So here's a few sound bits: three point five percent cap rates for multifamily east of Interstate Five. 3% cap rates for assets west of the five. They expect those to drop 10 to 20 basis points. Huh. Uh, we, we're out in the market right now looking for a stretch senior loan at 85% LTC, which historically would be a very aggressive ask. That's 18.5 million. Yeah. We got 10 bids. Four of them are over 21 million, which is like 92% loan to cost. Uh, or I should say oh over God. 20 million, excuse me, they're over 20 million. And all of them, uh, this is all like, you know, private debt, non-recourse capital um, are an 8% rate and the, the median fee is like two points. So we're in a point where apparently four private lenders are comfortable at 92% leverage for 8% and two points. Um, I could go on, but like, what's, what's your guys' view of the cycle? Like, where, where are we? Like, is this just lean in because inflation's ripping and it's all you can do? Or is this time to pull back and be really cautious and convert to cash and wait for something to happen? It's, it's very hard for me to see it at the moment. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we, we operate a, a build the core strategy. So what that is, is, um, Instead of buying that, you know, Class A apartment building, we'd we'd like to build it and own it. Uh, so build to a core asset, and, and you have the Class A uh, apartment building in a you know in a, in a you know A location in, in a growing market, um, and so that's our strategy. So our our notion is, you know, even though we're partnering with merchant developers and they want to top tick their IRR and um, build, lease, sell. And you didn't hear stable, stabilized cell. You said that's right. Cell. That's right. <laughs> Which is nowadays, you know, um, gosh, we're bef before we have CFO, we're getting offers on our properties. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, and, but we would um, uh, buy them out um, saying if, if we sold it for, the, uh, you know, what we all agree a value is, then, you know, this is what you would get and we'll buy you out. And then we're going to write off in the sunset and, and uh, hold this asset. Um, so that's generally our um, our business plan. And um, on the you know recently, because of the froth in the market that you just described, um, we were just seeing BOVs on our deals, uh, and you know just we're we just built it, and we're doing initial lease up, and we're maybe halfway through, or fifty or sixty percent, and we get a BOV that's uh, valuation, which is just sky high compared to our performa. And, you know, yeah, we're not, we, 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 in that refi or just buying them out, we're buying, you know, their portion out at a three and a half 
and I don't want to we I mean uh our, we want to sell into a demand wave and if this isn't a demand wave I don't know what is that's right so we have been um uh selling selling um so we've been selling a couple assets and we'll probably yeah uh, sell and then redeploy that into those those deals where we are building to uh, a high fives or a six cap, depending on the market, you know, or, or maybe mid mid fives uh, cap rate. Um, in a with a 200 basis point cap rate spread uh, versus the market cap, um, and that uh, um, I think is probably the the best thing for us to do right now if we can find those. Uh, deals to do. Um, you know, we're ambitious. We want to do a lot of volume, but it's, you know, it's difficult being, you know, uh, with our conservative temperament and, it, it, you know, um, and, and do a lot of volume. It's like, you know, if you, you want, I want to, uh, the, the, uh, you can have two of three things when you're, uh, uh, making a movie, you know, good, fast and cheap, you know, pick two. That's right. Um, so, you know, we have to. Um, so we've given up on volume as opposed to quality. So, mm-hmm. and and um, if you pull out your crystal ball, which if COVID taught me anything, it's that my crystal ball is completely uh, <laughs> dysfunctional. But where, where, what do you guys? I mean, where, where are we? Like, the, like a couple more sound bits, right? There's fourteen yeah. trillion dollars of cash at the banks. There's seven trillion dollars of cash with investors. Um, like, yeah. okay, where's if you apply even modest leverage to those yeah. kind of numbers and then take a tiny slice Huge. and allocate it towards real estate, like, ugh. yeah, it's uh, um, it's crazy, and you know, I mean, I mean, doing business through the recession, we just it, you know, um, in pre-recession. Um, I think we'd, you know, go, oh, no, we, we've been doing, we're doing this. It's, you know, for so many transactions for so long, uh, you know, I think I told my wife, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be the same thing next year. That now is the best predictor of tomorrow. And, you know, talk about broken crystal ball. Right. Um, (laughs) and so now we expect headwinds and we, we expect bad things to happen and uh and bake that into our numbers and so if you know and we kind of do this big most of our presentation on our deals we when, or to ourselves is uh talking about risk mitigants as opposed to you know um the positives of uh uh which you know we wouldn't be there if, it, if we didn't see uh positive exciting things happening but when we're you know um convincing ourselves to invest in it, it's mostly talking about uh, risks and then how to mitigate those discrete risks. And I don't know, you know, four different pundits will have four different opinions and, you know, I'll read an article saying one thing and another article, you know, saying the opposite. So I just, uh, we're just kind of agnostic to that and say, okay, let's just expect bad things to happen. Well, and look, you've alluded to a lot of the, um, when I get what you're saying, let the pundits be the pundits. In the meantime, I'm going to take it to the asset level and make sure each decision is uh, prudently underwritten, and that's the best I can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, maybe we should have another fund which says, okay, 
you know, um, based upon our ideas of the future, this is, you know, this is the you know more of a rocket fuel type of you know in, investor. Um, that's that's more of a private equity idea. Um, um, well, but you you had hinted at uh, just throughout the conversation, right? Perhaps a two hundred basis point spread between stabilized cap on costs and the terminal cap rate. It sounds like you're un- underwriting uh, untrended rents. Um, it sounds like you're going to expect cap rate expansion from. You know, if if the market was four, you you might underwrite a four one five or a four three as your terminal cap rate. Um, all sort of downside variants, but outside of that, like, what are the metrics or or attributes of deals that allow you to? You know, you also alluded to start with who. Um, it's the client first, and then probably yeah. the deal and or market. Um, what other, if you will, tricks of the trade or or mindsets do you employ to sort through? I mean, it sounded like. Well, it's that probably initial, one out of two hundred, right? Of, of yeah, um, and that, you know that that initial uh, um, uh, metric of you know uh, um, the cap rate spread, um, you know, and, and it's not terminal cap rate; it's you know stabilized cap rate, so it's nearer term. But you know these are larger projects, which you know that nearer term to uh, build and lease is you know, uh, under 30 months, but, you know, call it month 28 or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. um, so then we'll add in that instance, maybe, uh, um, 30 to 45 bips to the cap rate and say, okay. And you know, that's not that far to layer on that much. And so if it's, um, if we think it's a, uh, a four cap market, then, you know, it's a four and a half, or if it's a five, then it's a five and a half roughly or five, um, but anyway, um, and, um, uh, um, you know, it, it's hard to have a general, um, uh, framework in terms of, we, because each deal is a story. And so mm-hmm. as the, the nature of real estate, which is alluring about it, uh, and that, uh, is, is that each deal is a little puzzle and it keeps, it makes it. Um, a career that is fun to do over the long haul because yeah. each deal is a different story and uh, they're building a hospital next door or this is the last parcel here in this area or. Um, oh, but are you also it, saying that yeah. that first metric that that say 200 basis point spread is one of the first like it it makes the triage easier like yes or no or yeah. maybe. Yeah. Um, and, but in, embedded in that are assumptions of, you know, um, what's, what's uh, the, the cost is a conservatively uh, derived cost. Um, and then is the other rents, you know, um, is it a, a, a reasonable idea for uh, the rents building up that uh, terminal? And then also, if you are, you know, um, in a more tertiary market where or product type um, where it's a th- that cap rate spread I- expands as you get mm-hmm. to higher cap rates and compresses. Uh, so if it's from a four to a three, that's the same profit, or it may be more so than from a uh, five, five to, a four. to a seven or something like that. Yeah, or a seven to a five. You know, that two hundred basis points is probably less profit than um, from a four cap to a three cap, just because of the nature of yeah. how that function works. Yeah. Um, so it's not, it, it's kind of, um, you know, Kentucky windage as it were, you know, it's, it's kind of like, that's, 
generally, you know, um, okay, here's some decent metrics here. Oh, we're excited about this location. You know, we built the neighboring property or something like that. Um, yeah. Uh, and, look, and, the and thing that you do. Yes. But the thing that you just said on that, like cap rate spreads compress as yields nominally drop. Yeah. Right. Like there's, right. I don't know that there's a lot of, I mean, it's a mathematical fact, but I, I feel like there's just this convention that like, okay, you should have 150 to 125 basis points of spread between your terminal cap rate and yield on cost. Well, okay. But let's do the math. If that's, if I'm building to uh, a six and a quarter and selling at a five, like that's this return. If I'm building to a four and a quarter and yeah. selling at a three, that return is like two X. Yes. Of yeah. the same. Yeah. You're, and uh, and I, I, um, I, uh, in years past, I had uh, difficulty explaining that to um, someone who worked for me. And so I just, you know, put it on an Excel spreadsheet and say, look, right. at, <laughs> look at this from five to six is this. See how those numbers change below? <laughs> they change yep. dramatically. Uh, you know, they change logarithmically, you know, so it's not straight line. It's uh, from a three to a two. It's, you know, not double. That's right. Quadruple. That's right. Anyway. Um, so, look, I want to wrap anyway. up a bit on uh, the the business. I, I appreciate all that. I actually could keep going for a long time, but I, I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to hold you here all day. Um it, what what was the impetus that had you jump at Appian? You 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 alluded to it, but like the entrepreneur always has a moment of truth. I think where where they just choose to send it right. Like there's there's not um, sometimes it's very preconceived and and meditated, premeditated as we'll say, uh, and, and and it's a big plan and and you know the sky's open and away you go. It sounds like you may have faced some adversity um, with an individual and then just said, well, okay, here, here, I'm out on my own. I'm curious, like, where it starts. What was the, what was Yeah, that? I mean, I'll say, you know, maybe there's similar attributes in that it's, um, it's scary, you know, without a net, at least for me. Um, I, I, I grew up blue collar, so I had no fancy relationships or money. <laughs> um, and so it was scary but, and what brought me there, which I, you know, I, I, I see in uh, friends who are uh, entrepreneurs who they are just fearless and they just go in and it's easier to do that if, if, if you do have a, um, if you have a, a kind of some safety net or cushion, but mm -hmm. um, still it's, you know, or if they, if they don't have a family, um, which I didn't at that time. Um, but um, mine was more, um, I would have just kept going. Um, and not pivoted and so mine was it's not out of being desperate but like that just um i'm think that's why i said i was lucky to have been in a spot where i just said i this is untenable i have to i have to move out um and then um one of the partners uh one of the financial backers of that company said oh so uh i take you know, i imagine you're going to start your own company and I said, yes. Uh, <laughs> of course I am. <laughs> and a little adrenaline rush. And I was like, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, this is the time to try this. Because uh, I want to do that. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, I don't think I'm built as a wonderful employee. Um, and, 
uh, hats off to people who, <laughs> who mix well in that way. But um, so that was my, you know, that, that was my little genesis. And I just I came that way, you know, and I have kids and try to de describe to them that, you know, it's really, um, if you can, you know, go um, and be your own uh, um, boss, uh, as it were, not, um, uh, and, and, or do your own venture, yeah, uh, then, oh my gosh, it's so rewarding. Um, um, and part of what, you know, what kind of squished my enthusiasm in, in those big companies was they were large. I didn't want to be my, my boss's 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 boss, you know, mm -hmm. and the owner of the companies was, you know, just a family, uh, Franklin Hamilton. And I, I was like, this is, not, I'm not, I don't have any kind of, you know, soul stirring, you know, anything going on here. Um, and and but, no impact or, or hard yeah. to discern impact, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and um, I think that um, just not, not just the selfish quality of life stuff, but just, you know, I want to go do, do things and I'm not trying to, you know, boil the ocean or be, you know, do big, you know, just uh, raise funds and, and be big. We're not trying to be big. Um, we like our niche. Um, and that's what's, you know, and uh, while it's there, maybe the crowdfunding will make it go away after a while. I don't know. But, um, but it's, uh, it's just fun to do. It's uh, these relationships, you know, um, you can, the best relationships are those that are organic and we don't like, you know, it's not, there's not forced. Um, uh, um, and when you find folks that you uh, truly um, appreciate doing business with and you get to do business with them, that's, that's just great, you know, and maybe it's less business. You know, I know that we could, I've been offered to, to you know, big things where we could go national and everything, but um, I don't want to be cliche and say quality of life, but it just makes work more fun and the, the quality is better and everything, anything, everything's on an upward. Yeah. Level. You know, it's funny that the, um, it sounds a bit cliche. And I remember when I was new to the business, um, having it told to me, you know, over and over like, Hey, it's a relationship business. Um, boy, at this point, like, <laughs> I don't think that can be, overstated as cliche as it may sound it's it's yeah. to me like the the there are so many attributes of real estate that are fascinating and you're touching on a bunch of them but the the thing that is really i think spectacular is the people who are in the business and the fact that you get to conspire together exactly. to do cool, to, to do cool stuff right yeah yeah yeah, it, yeah so, it's just it's uh it's exciting and fun for me, you know, and, um, yeah, I hope my kids can find something that's as, as rewarding, you know, uh, just, you know, Hey, look at, we built this thing. Um, you know, happy tenants, happy investors, happy buyers, you know, let's happy community, more. happy community. Yeah. And, you know, it's done responsible. Uh, the, the city loves us every, you know, gosh, it's, let's just do it again. Yeah. Um, What's the, the accomplishment that you've had with Appian, which you, or one of the accomplishments rather than ask you for perhaps a pinnacle achievement, but what are you proud of having accomplished with, with Appian? 
Um, you know, uh, I think that, um, well, you know, selfishly, if, if Ford's me, you know, um, a, 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 uh, a fulfillment, which my kids can witness. And mm. that is a big deal for me. You know, um, uh, my dad liked, he was a civil engineer, um, worked for this, uh, city and he loved what he did. Um, and you know, I, I saw that and absolutely not for me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, that, that's fit him. Um, and, um, and so, you know, there's, I don't there's no like, you know, um, particular building or project. I think it's just, you know, uh, just a, a, a system, a, a way of living life that is, uh, fun and, and finding, finding, uh, fun in what you do, you know, or, you know, enjoyment. Um, it, it's, uh, it strikes me as almost like the thing that's popping into my mind is some, some kind of, uh, remarkable athletic endeavor, which done by the person who's a practitioner of it doesn't seem that far fetched, but perhaps as a, as a father and as that athlete, if you will, on this strained analogy, yeah. uh, you're executing these moves and having the opportunity to explain to your children that like, no, look, like you can do it. Like you can do this. I, I, and they get to see like, whoa, dad just like started his business and we're doing pretty well. Yeah, and from the outside looking in, it can look complex or, or or whatever. But gosh, you know, we know, you know. I mean, gosh, it's it can, it, you. You can just boil it down to some basic things, you know. Um, and uh, and it's really, it's really not, not rocket science. If if you you know, and there's a lot of germane knowledge, but once you get a hold of that, um, it's uh, it's fun to you know, and and it's born. You know, you have your failures. Uh, um, and you know, my, my failures are more along the lines of, uh, picking poor sponsors. I kind of alluded to it a little bit in that, that first decade of business, like, Oh gosh, you know, a, g- a good sponsor can take a, a challenging business plan and, and, and navigate around the rocks and, and, you know, get to the beach. And then, um, and then a poor sponsor or partner can, um, take, you know, take the the easiest down the fairway uh thing and screw it up um mm-hmm. and do you uh, have any failures you know keep it as generic or specific as you like which uh well look i heard somebody say recently <laughs> experience is what you get when you didn't get what you expected um do you have any you know favorite failure that maybe ties um, yeah, stuff we, you, well, you we needed had, to know we 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 built uh um, a, uh, a gas station and a, a, a few, uh, a sea store and, uh, some fast food franchises in, um, in the, in central California. And, oh my gosh, they, you know, while we were closing on it, they built the, the off ramp to our site. It was just so, you know, our basis was massively low. I mean, we were getting offers along the way and our, uh, our, uh, partner, um, decided to um yeah it's like this is not the, the you know taco bell it's just a bunch of recipes i'm just going to make it my own restaurant here and not pay them <laughs> <laughs> and we're like yeah 
That's a very poor decision. <laughs> so we had to take the reins from that. But um, yeah, it was just well, a, oh, nearly insane um, idea. But and you know, uh, that was when we were putting you know the property more than you know trying to look around him as a as a sponsor. Yeah, understood. Um, so look, with with twenty years of flag flying, um, we have money kind of flag up there. Uh, it's clear you've got more than sufficient uh, deal flow, and and my uh, expectation is that deal flow shows up in a whole array of ways, which is to say, not just hey, here's another deal. Appian could fund it, but guys who say uh, you should come out of this, you know, ad hoc syndicate model and build a billion dollar fund, or hey, mm-hmm. we should franchise you guys out and, and do this nationally, or 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 or. Yeah. My point is, there's undoubtedly a lot of opportunity coming to you. Um, I wonder how you how you stay the course, how you respond to opportunity as you as you hit a point where uh, it's undoubtedly. Uh, all around you. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I mean, over the years, there's there's funds, who, there's folks who like want to bolt on and, but you know, uh, and you know, make us a lot bigger than we are. Um, uh, and while, but you know, um, maybe the dollars are sexy, but you know, back to what what's exciting is just doing the business that we're doing, and um, and so. While now we are, you know, there's some investors who need to invest in a fund. And so we're raising some funds for those folks, but still they'll act as, you know, our, um, our, uh, just kind of as Uber investors in our, in our platform. Um, it, you know, um, it's also, you know, I I used to look at the, some people say, oh, you have to herd a lot of cats. Well, we don't really, I enjoy I mean, that's why this podcast is so long, because I will talk about me until the sun sets. <laughs> <laughs> I just love this business and everything. And so um, I enjoy all those interactions um, um, because, you know, uh, um, I don't know. It's just uh, it's you know, I find enjoyment in what we do and what we you know uh, conceive to do. So it's an interesting time. There's so much so much money out there. Um, and. Uh, um, I don't know. Uh, I th- I think that you know uh, we could go different directions. If something is intriguing, can do something parallel, you know, but um, uh, along alongside our existing business. But I don't know what that would be. Right. Basically, just you're just staying in your lane. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, I'm gonna change topics a little bit here, but it kind of ties into that notion of opportunity and saying no. Um, <clears throat> this may well be the pot calling the kettle black. Um, and I'm certainly making an assumption here, but I've had a fair bit of interaction with you over the years. And I would suggest that we might both be quote unquote adults, ADD. Um, <laughs> and I find that the world presents a lot of you, you actually use the word shiny stuff or something yeah. shiny just a bit ago. Um, yeah, distractions, noise, whether it's this, you know, text message ding on my phone, which I can't seem to have the discipline to just shut off or the endless flow of emails or, you know, the just, I feel like there's 
a number of bullets flying through my body at any time. And they're just <laughs> other ideas and other notions and, and yeah. keeping that all at bay so I can be still and productive for me is yeah. a real challenge. Um, and if I'm completely off base there, I guess I'll say apologies, but I'm wondering how that shows up in your life and, and how you mitigate the, the cacophony of, of, of life. You have children, you have a business, you have partners, you have, yeah. you know, I, uh, I, for my mental health, I exercise. I, I would be a disaster if I, I didn't put out a lot of calories exercising. <laughs> uh, so I'm on my bike a lot and, um, uh, and other stuff, but, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know, you know, it's a, it's a reframing that the pandemic brought us to, you know, um, where, uh, the travel simmered down a lot and I, I have a hobby of woodworking, so I'll be making stuff <laughs> in my shop, um, and then taking a call and moving and, and moving on. Um, and I'm not, um, uh, you know, I don't look at like, oh, and I'll retire at this. I, this is what pumps my blood. So I'll just keep on doing this, uh, until I fall over probably, but at, you know, I'm on my terms at a different pace. Uh, um, but, uh, I don't know. I think, uh, um, uh, I, I think that's, I just try to, you know, be present, you know, especially for my kids, they're going to be gone in a minute, you know, they're teenagers now. And so mm -hmm. they're going to be out of the house. And, and, uh, so trying to suck the marrow out of this phase, you know, and appreciate that. And, uh, uh, sometimes that means just letting go to voicemail and then picking up the next day and blocking off that time and prioritizing, actively prioritizing. Mm -hmm. But, um, uh, I don't know, you're probably you're probably better at it than I am. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, look, you just alluded to exercise, um, which is one of the things that I also find, um, in particular, outdoor exercise. Like I'll, I'll spend yeah. more time than I'd care to admit um, on Peloton during inclement yeah. weather and things like that. But um, you know, you you know, um, I also have an affliction for the bicycle, but. Uh, I try to like start my day right with the expectation that if I can kind of get my head um, in both the short term and long term time frame and, and come into the day uh, clear with what like who I want to be and how I want to show up as a husband, a father and a, a, a brother, uh, yeah. a, a business owner, uh, a, a service provider. Um, that I might have a good day and, and then if I can string a whole bunch of good days together, then, um, there you go. the probability of me like going to the places I aspire to go is, is higher. Um, I wonder what you might have by way of, uh, if any, um, daily routines that you employ to kind of keep you on track. Well, I, 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 I mean, you touched on something there and I think it's just, uh, you know, for me, that just means being intentional. Um, and uh, when you find that you are just going through motions, you know, but to analyze actually what you, you know, look at, what, what am I doing? And am I, am I being intentional with my energy and in, in my mind share? Uh, um, and is, does that actually correspond with my priorities? Uh, mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, those priorities, which I just alluded to, you know, I can just like, okay, 
when it comes down to, okay, could, should I go um, uh, to Phoenix or I got to, or go to my daughter's volleyball game or, you know, stuff like that. I know that's kind of, you know, a low hanging fruit to allude to, but um, I think that, uh, um, you know, everybody has their little routine. Mine is usually wake up and I drink a coffee while I'm on a um, stationary bike and that's mm-hmm. start my day. And then I'm kind of, I'm kind of, you know, getting my other, what I would otherwise be a, a ride to work on my bike. Um, yep. Uh, and so that's, that's my, that's my start. And I frame out my priorities then, or, or that happens at 4am in the morning and I wake up thinking, Oh yeah, I do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, look, you've, I, I, in fact, I didn't know uh, what you had shared in terms of the, the blue collar um, upbringing and, and yeah. you know, the, the role model you had as a, a father. And so you have clearly, um, you know, made that journey uh, transformation from, you know, I have a notion that I can do this to like having fully accomplished it for either, um, or maybe both the developer who's out there, you you know, these guys, you are partnered with these guys that, that, uh, you know, in particular, the guys that are getting going or for other entrepreneurs in other industries or other aspects of the real estate industry, you have any, um, you know, thoughts or dare I say words of wisdom that you would share based on the journey you've uh, undertaken? I don't think that there is a um, uh, waiting for a perfect time is, is, uh, it's not going to happen. You know, uh, planning, saying, okay, now I'm just wait, wait for the market to dip, then I'm going to make a move or something like that. I think that that could expand, that time could expand out forever. Um, but to just jump into the rapids and get in, in um, you know, kind of uh, um, get that experience of a small deal, small, starting small. Um, our first deals were very, very small. Um, I was scrambling around for $1 million. Um, and um, one guy lent me $30,000 because another investor backed out. <laughs> at the rate of two percent per month, so I was like, "Oh wow!" And like, and I replaced that money in fifteen days. So that you know, that was you know, small and quirky. And I, oh my gosh, the deal now! Like, oh my gosh, but um, but it's all a path, you know. And you know, if you if you yeah, I think think about or get too focused on what I need to be in the future, but as opposed to just finding moving forward on something that's actionable right now, even though it's small and, you know, the, the, the profits aren't, aren't big or whatever, but, it, but it's personal growth momentum. And there's all these other things that, you know, um, like maybe my kids don't like taking a certain class right now, but uh, they will benefit. I think they'll look back on it and go, Oh yeah, that was, I didn't realize it then, but you know, uh, now I actually, I'm, I'm glad I know something about art history or whatever it is. Um, so I think that perspective, you're not going to have a fully formed perspective in the moment. Um, but just, uh, follow your, you know, kind of gut in terms of, um, just action and momentum is very valuable, um, uh, right then. Yeah. More so, more so than having a full framed, you know, business plan or, you know, idea where you're going to be. 
I agree with you. And it, I think the funny thing for a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, you know, some number of years into the journey, if you ask them, you know, knowing what you know now, uh, would you have done what you did? Um, you know, right. be- because they've made it, the answer would be yes. But I, but I think the vast majority of people just jump and then they look and then they go, holy cow, <laughs> I had no idea what I was yeah. getting myself into. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, look, you've been very generous with your time. I don't want to uh, cannibalize any more of your, your busy day. Um, if you have any closing remarks or if you want to share uh, contact info, um, yeah, uh, discretion, feel free. I don't have a, you know, a, thank you so much, Kevin. You've been, you know, like I say, I'm enthusiastic more about people, uh, that I do business with and, uh, and, uh, you've been a good sounding board and buddy for a long time. And I vastly appreciate that. And this has been, this has been fun. Um, and, uh, appiancapital.com has our, has our information, but. Okay, perfect. Uh, thank you, John. Um, listeners who've who've come this far, I, I have to uh, remind you or or invite you, please, to review the podcast if you like it. My my production people keep telling me to say that. Um, John, thank you, listeners. Thanks thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.